Along with Sean Styers, my name is Darren Pritchett. Your home of the Fighting Irish is WSBT Radio, number two, Notre Dame at Boston College, 3.30 kickoff Saturday here on WSBT Radio. Brian Driscoll is the publisher of irishbreakdown.com, a sports illustrated venture. He joins us every Tuesday at this time. And we welcome him back to the program. Brian, good to be with you. And I'm just going to start with Clemson rushed the football 33 times for just 34 yards. That's just absolutely unthinkable considering the talents of Travis Etienne. I know the quarterbacks was a little banged up. Apparently they did not want to run him a whole lot. But as you watched the game live and then went back and looked at the film, can you give me a couple of players on the defensive side for Notre Dame that really excelled and was a big reason why they were held to just 34 rushing yards? I I think, first of all, Darren, it's an entire unit played phenomenal. It was the end set in the edge. It was the disruption from the interior players. I really thought it was just a great unit effort. But I think two guys I felt stood above the rest, and that's Kurt Heinisch and Dalen Hayes. I mean, everybody played well. Those two played spectacular football. Kurt Heinisch played like somebody said something about his mother before the game. I mean, he played with some (laughs) attitude. I mean, he was just dominant off the ball. And the thing about it, too, is if you're just dominating by shooting into gaps, an opposing offensive coordinator and line coach can say, hey, look, this guy's beating us into the gap, so let's trap him, let's do that. You know, there's things you can do to kind of negate that. He was not only shooting gaps effectively, but he was also bullying Clemson off the ball. So he could even come with power moves and just, you know, iso block a guy and just drive him back into the quarterback. So it just everything that they asked him to do, he did at a very high level. I mean, you know, he picked the right time to have the best game of his career. And he's been good all year, but he was great on Saturday. And I thought Dalen Hayes was an incredible force against the run on Saturday. Just coming off the backside, him and, uh, and Adi Ogundizi were really good at Clemson likes to pull and wrap with their backside guards and tackles a lot. And they would see that, and they would just immediately close and just t- on the outside shoulder of that blocker and just stone him. And then sometimes they beat that guy to the spot, and Dalen Hayes was able to make a play in the backfield. So it was just an incredibly physically dominant performance. They spent almost the entire game on the Clemson side of the line of scrimmage, and that's a that's a defensive line coach's dream and a defensive coordinator's dream when you can do that, especially against a team as good as Clemson. Brian, that guy out there in uh, Shane Simon's uniform, I don't know who that was because he he didn't look like the same Shane Simon that we had seen for, what, five games because obviously Mm -hmm. he didn't play in in all of the first six. Where, Where do you think that came from? Well, you know, actually, I had a conversation with somebody before the game that we were talking about Shane Simon, and that same person who's close to the program called me after the game and said, hey, this is before I did my grades and talked about how good I thought Shane played. He said, hey, just to give you a heads up, you know, the coaches and Shane had a little bit of a, a heart-to-heart this week. And it was, and I don't mean that in like a let's give him a big hug and seem kumbaya. It was like, a, hey, dude, it's now or, now or we're going to find somebody else. Uh, and to Shane's credit, he stepped up and said, okay, I got this. You know, and he played with confidence. He looked like the top 100 recruit that, that Notre Dame – thought he was going to be when they signed him he was athletic he was aggressive uh he was he he showed some instincts you know taking on guys with the right arm you know on the one blitz early in the game where you know the quarterback tried to throw right behind him on a blitz and he jumps up and bats it down like those are the kind of instinctive plays that we just haven't seen Shane Simon make uh and he was incredibly productive I mean he had four tackles I think he had five the whole year coming into the game um and he and he really now there's still a, a lot of room for improvement and that's my big takeaway from this game guys is 
This game felt like a, a lot like the 2005 Notre Dame USC game, except the roles were reversed. I don't know how much better Clemson could play with the team they had on the field on Saturday. I thought they played as well as they could have. Notre Dame still left some stuff out there. There's another level for this team to get to. And I think that's if Brian Kelly can keep hammering that, that's that's going to say something for this team in the final five games of the season. Brian, we saw early on in the football game that Clemson was able to complete a deep ball for a touchdown with the coverage being supplied by Tariq Bracey. Bracey was not on the field very long. He was replaced by Clarence Lewis. I would assume this week Tariq Bracey in practice will have every opportunity to get back in the good graces and re-earn his starting spot. Could you evaluate that particular position, and is there much difference between the two players? Yeah, there is a difference, and and I think the the biggest thing for Tariq Bracey is he did not play with confidence at all on Saturday. And what I mean by that is, you know, they were playing a lot of off coverage, and they were basically going to let you. If you want to throw eight yard, nine yard outs, we'll let you throw those all day. We we can't let you beat us over the head, over the top of over the top. It's kind of the the game plan that Notre Dame seemed to have coming in. And he got beat on an out cut. He was late responding, and then the next, the very next play, they went right back at him, and he was flat footing like he was expecting an out, and they ran a post right by him. So it was clear he was just not keyed in on what they were doing. He wasn't reading the keys, and he was just kind of guessing as opposed to playing fast. And that's not typically what we see from Tariq Bracey. So he's going to have to get his confidence back this week. And he wasn't tackling well either. I think that as much as anything is, is you know, they, Nick McLeod got beat for a 51-yard game. They didn't bench him because he was doing other things well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tariq was also missing tackles, and I think that factored into it as well. The difference between the two is, Tariq's a fast cover guy, and, and if you're a fast cover guy and you're not covering, <laughs> you're not really bringing a lot of value where Clarence Lewis is not a guy that you're going to want running deep with people. And you could tell the way they used him that they're not going to put him up in press and say, hey, go cover you know, their best receivers. He's a, he's a smart, athletic, and he's a, he's a physical kid, too, for a freshman. He'll come down, tackle, play support, and those kind of things. So um, they complement each other relatively well, but they're certainly not a, well, this guy does exactly what that guy does kind of player. So, Brian, when Notre Dame starts with the ball at their own nine-yard line in that last drive of regulation, one, what was your confidence at that point that that they would be able to get it to the end zone? And two, along with that, how badly did Ian Book need a drive like that, the one that he had? Well, those two things kind of go hand in hand because the confidence level (laughs) was not really there because we'd never seen him do it. Right. I mean, uh, that was the big thing. I mean, it reminded me of last year against Georgia when Notre Dame gets the ball at midfield and two minutes left and you touch down, you, you beat Georgia on the road. And, and they I don't even think they got a first down, maybe one first down. And that was it. Uh, so I didn't have a great deal of confidence. But one thing I wrote about after the game was as a coach, I look at body language, you know, our eyes down, our, our guys with the pep in their step. And I'm watching Ian Book on the sideline as they're returning that punt, that punt. And he just had a different. He had a different vibe to him than he did against Georgia. I remember when they took the field against Georgia, I, I looked at the guy next to me. I said, they have no chance. They're just, the body language was just, was just terrible. There was nobody except Chase Claypool that looked like they were like, get me the ball. Uh, that was different on Saturday. You could just see a pep in their step, like, like almost like they had a, yo, you guys messed up now kind of mentality. And, and that's really what you need. Now, did I automatically look to the guy next to me and say, they're going to score? No, because I still needed to see, uh, complete a couple passes, you know, but uh, – uh, the, the body language was there, the energy level was there, and then once they hit a couple plays, you're like, okay. And and I think the the thing that told me they might have a chance is they weren't rushing. Like, you had to have some urgency, but you can have urgency and rush, and then you start kind of getting everything off. They had an, a sense of urgency. They were going at a fast pace, but they weren't rushing. They were under control, and that was a, a that's a sign of a team that believes 
that they can go down there and get the job done. And Ian Book needed that for his life. I mean, if he if he would have not been able to get that done, when you look at the because all all we'd be talking about right now if he didn't get that drive done is the fumble, the fumble the in the fumble, end zone, yeah. yeah, and that's all we'd be talking about. And then the fourth and seven drop, and that's all we'd be talking about. And but because of that drive. It's like, ah, well, he overcame that. No big deal. <laughs> you know, and, <laughs> and he needed it. And, and you feel good for him because, you know, people like me have been very critical of him throughout his career. And I think deservedly so. Uh, he needed a game like this to kind of say, okay, get off my back. Let me, you know, see what I could see what I do from here. Brian Driscoll, the publisher of irishbreakdown.com, joining us to talk about Notre Dame's victory over Clemson and double overtime on Saturday. We'll get to BC in just a second. You've spent time coaching offense at the collegiate level so i'm just wondering your thoughts on this i'll start with my personal opinion then i'll let you tear it apart and probably make fun of me but i really felt like despite the 439 passing yards put up in that game by the freshman quarterback that trevor lawrence could have made a difference in this game and i just look at some of the third down decisions and also in overtime you can't take those sacks i think trevor lawrence would have gotten the ball out quicker or at least thrown it away as you evaluate that game and as you try to look into the future and I know this is the if ands and buts and I'm not trying to take away anything from Notre Dame's victory I'm just trying to look ahead to the next meeting how much difference do you think Lawrence would have made in this game I think he would have made a difference just how much he would have made I it's it's hard to say I, I'll say this there were throws that that as good as as DJ played there were throws that I looked at and said Trevor makes that play he reads that that out differently and and I think in overtime there's no way Trevor Lawrence takes two sacks I think that's another big thing is there's no way he takes two sacks he's going to throw the ball away he knows a guy like him has that internal clock like as soon as that pump's not there I know I'm throwing it away because I'm not going to let Jeremiah Wusu or Adiogandizi or Dalen Hayes get me, and I think that's that level of experience that only comes from experience, you know. And 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 DJ just doesn't have that yet. So there were some plays that could have been made, but the, the counter is well, we don't know what Notre Dame's defensive game plan would have been with Trevor mm-hmm. Lawrence. We don't know how the Notre Dame offense would have played when when you put a guy like him. And the other thing is, guys for Clemson played better than I've seen them play on film all year. You don't always get that when the the, the stars back there because oh, well, Trevor's got this, but when he's out. Hey, I got to step up. You know that Trevor's not there. I got to step up and, and play better. And we don't know how that would have gone on Saturday. But I also will say Clemson can play much better than they did on Saturday with Trevor Lawrence. But as I said before, that was not a clean Notre Dame football game. Missed tackles, fumbles in the end zone, terrible red zone, false starts, drops at the goal line. There's a lot more that this Notre Dame football team can do. And that's why I say I don't think that's an automatic given like, oh, you throw Trevor Lawrence in there, they're going to win by three touchdowns next time. Could they? Sure. But I still think Notre Dame has a chance to compete with them if they can continue building on on how they played on Saturday. Kyron Williams in his blitz pickup. I was just watching a little highlight reel that somebody put together of, of his blitz pickups. Where do you – how do you compare that to maybe some recent guys who have played – at Notre Dame. I mean, it just, it obviously was, was a big part of that game. Well, I think that's better than he's played all year. I mean, I think for most of the year, Kyron's really been inconsistent as a pass blocker, which you expect from a guy that's, you know, really in his first year in the lineup. And, you know, outside of Tony Jones, pass protection has been an issue for running backs 
for the last three years. Josh Adams wasn't a great pass blocker. Mm-hmm. Dexter Williams was allergic to pass blocking for most of his <laughs> career. Uh, you know, but but Kyron, it, it, this is the thing I'll say about this football team, though, guys. Is is there were there were seven or eight guys that I looked at, Shane Simon, Kurt Heinisch, where you say, hey, you know what, that guy did something we've never seen him do before, or that guy took his le- his game to another level, and I think that speaks volumes about the the character of this football team. Where when the lights were brightest, I didn't see anybody cower from it. You know, I didn't see Ian Book going to tank when he fumbled the ball in the end zone. I saw Kyron Williams stepping up. He took more shots pass pro than he did running a football. Uh, and and yeah. so you just saw guys that they, they needed Kurt Heinisch to have a big game. They needed Kyron Williams to step up and pass protection. And I'll tell you what, they don't get the Javon McKinley throw in the first quarter if he doesn't step up and pass pro. And they don't get the 53-yard bomb at the end to Avery Davis because he had to step up and Ian Book had to climb. Guys, that was the throw that I've been complaining about for two years that Ian Book did not make in the playoff. It was a pressure came from the outside, and he stepped into the pocket and wasn't willing to throw the ball downfield. And if he does that to Miles Boykin two years ago, Notre Dame's up 7 nothing. He had a chance to do that on Saturday, and this time, in a, in a key moment, he got it done. And that was, a, for me, a big moment because it's almost like a repeat of that play from two years ago in the playoff. And this time, he slidesteps, climbs a pocket, lets it go confidently, and you're like, okay, this, team, this team's got a little something different. Talking Fighting Irish football with Brian Driscoll from irisbreakdown.com. I think we differ a little bit on this. So let's get into a a brief conversation on Phil Dracovic, the star quarterback now for Boston College. And we talked about this earlier, Sean and I. So, Brian, I I think back to just watching Phil Dracovic in practice, blue goal game. At times I saw a guy that looked kind of unconfident, the mechanics got a little wacky, and I saw a guy that could throw the deep ball as beautifully as anybody that I have seen in person, but would struggle with the short and intermediate routes. Now, that was in practice or in the blue goal game. I have no idea how much better he got between August of last year and the Michigan game, and that Michigan game led to a lot of people wanting Dracovic to take over at that particular time. Simply put, as you look at Phil Dracovic now, I know he's in different systems, but do you see a different quarterback, and why do you think he is a different quarterback now? What are I they getting out of him that Notre Dame couldn't, I guess is what I'm trying to ask. I think, number one, they're building around what he does best. I mean, Brian Kelly talked about how he's making plays outside of, outside of the framework of the offense, and, and that's what Notre Dame doesn't want. I mean, that comment, and I wrote about this at Irish Breakdown today, that comment, and, and Brian Kelly was not being insulting. He was being complimentary. No. Uh, but it's that comment right there is exactly why I don't think Brian Kelly wanted any part of Phil Dracovic running the offense because you have to give him some freedom to make throws that most coaches are going to pull their hair out watching him make because then he's going to make some of the insane throws that we've seen him make this year, and I don't think Notre Dame wants to run an offense that way. Uh, you know, I don't get too much into the, the blue-gold game. I mean, he looked way better in the blue-gold game than Deshaun Kaiser looked the year before he <laughs> yeah, led Notre Dame to the Fiesta Bowl, right. you know. Yeah. And that guy was ready to start playing baseball. He was so bad in the blue-gold blue game. I mean, and Nate Montana was Brian Kelly's first blue-gold game MVP, right? I put no stock in the blue-gold game. <laughs> but I do think he was a guy that had a, a crisis of confidence, and I think a big part of that is, with all due respect to Tommy Reese, I do not mean this in an insulting manner at all, he, I don't think he has any idea how to coach a Phil Dracovic. He's nothing like Tommy was as a player. You look at the quarterbacks Tommy Reese has coached, at, whether it be at worked with at Northwestern and then Ian Book. Uh, I think he had similar problems with Brandon Wimbush. He did not know how to get the most out of Brandon Wimbush, who steadily declined the further he was in the system at Notre Dame. Whereas Ian Book, there's some similarities there, you know, between you know, you know what he his style and and what Tommy Reese did is like you know a more athletic version of Tommy Reese is what I like to say. 
Uh, and I think that was a big part of it. And I just don't think, and, and that's, I mean, I wouldn't send my, you know, Jimmy Clausen to go play for Paul Johnson. You know, Paul Johnson's a great option quarterback. He can coach that solid quarterback, but I'm not, like I said, I'm not sending Jim, Jimmy Clausen to play for him. And I just don't think that he understood how to do that. Where at BC, he's so much more talented than anyone else they have that they're like, hey, this is our guy. We got to build around him. We'll tailor our offense to say, hey, we're going to do some bootlegs. We're going to do some different things to allow him to be in position to utilize his strengths as a player. Notre Dame wasn't willing to do that. Brian Kelly has a system, and you have to fit within his system. And he'll make some little wrinkles here and there to fit what you do, but he's not changing his offense for who you are. And they would have needed to do that with Phil Jerkovic. They would have needed to alter dramatically what he did because you have to allow him to kind of have some of that early, and I'm saying this for your benefit, Darren, some of that early John Elway in him. You know, where yeah. John, why they said, why was John Elway always so good in the fourth quarter? Because in the fourth quarter, you're no longer structured. You're no longer on your West Coast offense. It's, dude, go win a game. And that's why he was always so much better in the fourth mm-hmm. quarter of games than he was early because they just stopped getting in his way and they just let him go play. And I see, I see I'm not saying Phil Dracovic, John Elway, but that similar style of you have to give him some freedom and you have to go let him play. And that's why I think John, another reason Johnny Manziel was so much better in college than he was in the pros because he's not a guy that's going to be within the structure of what you're trying to do. Uh, when you when you have that kind of system, he accounts for seventy four percent of Boston College's offense. There's there's not a whole lot around him. We've talked over the course of this season watching him about that offensive line that's not very good. So is there is there enough there for them to be a serious threat to Notre Dame in this game Saturday? Not if it comes down to. Uh, Notre Dame playing a clean game and, and BC just outplaying them. I don't think I don't think BC has the horses on either side of the ball. Now, if BC had some defenses like they had back in the Don Brown days, then I'd be a lot more concerned about it. You know, but they just don't have the horses on defense. They don't have the ability, in my opinion, to make enough stops on Notre Dame. Now, if Notre Dame turns the ball over a couple times and their red zone offense keeps pumping out field goals instead of touchdowns, could Phil Dracovic make enough plays to win the game? Yeah, but I think what we're going to see is is Notre Dame being a lot more aggressive against him, sort of taking Clemson's second-half game plan, which is mixing up your looks, disguising coverages. They're going to do a lot of similar things in that regards to Jerkovic that they did to the quarterback from Clemson, which is let's let's make get him thinking because he has a tendency to hold on to the ball a little bit too long. And if you can get him thinking and second-guessing, then he's not going to be letting that ball go uh, as, much as, he's going to, uh, as much as he would like to. And then now all of a sudden your pass rush can start having more of an impact. So I just don't think BC matches up skill-wise, offensive line-wise, um, to the point where they're going to be able to protect him enough for 60 minutes. He may have some stretches like he did against Clemson, but for 60 minutes, I just don't think there's enough there for them to be able to compete with Notre Dame. My final question for you, Brian, this week, Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, Notre Dame, if you had a vote in the AP poll, how would you rank those four as of right now? Well, I um, since it's my site and I can write whatever the, what I want to write about, I do a top 25 <laughs> every Sunday. And I still have Alabama number one. I think when you look at Notre Dame, Notre Dame has obviously the best win of any team in the country this year. But their overall schedule is still very, very poor. And so now we're going to find out a lot about more, more about Notre Dame here in the next few weeks because the case could be made that when Notre Dame had six scrimmages to get ready for the Clemson game. So, yeah, they're going to be healthy. They're <laughs> going to be locked in. Yeah. Uh, now we're going to say, hey, well, how do you bounce back from some of those things? And I think they're going to bounce back well, but we need to see it. And I think Alabama with a win over Texas, a convincing win over Texas A&M, you know, they have a win over a good Missouri team. Uh, they have a, a blowout win over Georgia. They, they just have a better overall resume. I put Notre Dame at number two. I put Ohio State at number three. I flips. I had Ohio State number uh, three, and I had Notre Dame number four the previous week. But I jumped Notre Dame all the way up to number two, and Ohio State's number three, and, and Clemson's or excuse me, Clemson's number three, and Ohio State's number four. 
is how I have it shaken out. Okay. I saw you retweeted the Pat Narduzzi comments. Darren and I talked about it <laughs> earlier <laughs> on the <laughs> show. You, Uncle Pat. you need to either be all in the ACC yeah. or, or all out. We should boycott Notre Dame. What do you think about your buddy Pat Narduzzi? 45, I think Pat pounds. Narduzzi needs to do whatever he can to focus on not losing an average of six games a year and keep his job. <laughs> I think the last thing Pat Narduzzi needs to be worrying about is who the ACC has or does not have in their schedule. Okay, I mean, I get where he's coming from. It's a guaranteed L every time that they've played Notre Dame, even going back to when he was at Michigan State, you know, when they went 13-1 and one and he was their D coordinator. Who beat him? It was Notre Dame. So I get there's some anger there. There's some frustration there, but he needs to focus on coaching football. There's a lot of stuff clearly he doesn't understand as to why Notre Dame and the ACC are together. Uh, the fact is is that when Clemson beat Notre Dame in 2015, that I think was a springboard for them, which has helped the ACC. Could you imagine where the ACC would be right now if Clemson was still the 2011 to 2014 version of Clemson? Hmm. You know, people would be talking about how the American deserves a, a bid more than the ACC <laughs> does. So, you know, Notre Dame is 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 a, is a good. Uh, is a good partner with the ACC and coaches like Pat Narduzzi need to focus on trying to beat, you know, teams in their league and not worry about, you know, what's going on with Notre Dame. Brian Driscoll from irisbreakdown.com. Give us a little idea what's on the website, irisbreakdown.com right now, or maybe something that's coming up. Well, I got some uh, some recruiting nuggets on the site that, that we've kind of gathered over the last week. I have a breakdown of just how incredibly dominant the Notre Dame run defense has been this season. They've they've played four running backs that were ranked in the top 25 in rushing this year, and they've held them to 51, 28, 7, and 52 yards rushing, each of those four players during that time. It's just a brilliant performance. And then tomorrow I'm going to have a breakdown basically that says if you stop Phil Dracovic, to the point Sean made earlier, if you stop Phil Dracovic, you're going to win this game, and here's some things Notre Dame will need to do to to to, to stop Pillager Cope, or at least keep him from taking over the game for four quarters. So I'll have a breakdown on that, and then of course uh, all of our normal uh, pregame coverage of of Notre Dame's opponent. And I think it was you last week that pointed out from Notre Dame Stadium that what Jordan Johnson was running with the second team receivers mm-hmm. in pregame. Mm-hmm. That was interesting. We'll see, we'll, we'll see if he plays. You know, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. But this this would be a nice time <laughs> to get him in there. But I, I, I'm just I'm not holding my breath for. I think okay. Brian Kelly. This is who he is. They beat Clemson. Now they're you know even more pressure on him. They're going to keep doing what they're doing until they uh, they have no choice but to do something different. I'm glad you posted that on your site because it caught my attention. I'm like, huh, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. All right. Yep. He is Brian Driscoll, the publisher of irishbreakdown.com. We encourage you to check out the website. Brian, thank you so much for the visit. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks for having me on, guys. Brian Driscoll covers the Fighting Irish at irishbreakdown.com.